You are listening to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast, where two church planners try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. On today's episode, we are going to talk with our resident church planters about why start reformed churches. So let's kick it over to them and get things started. So John, it's early October here in Tennessee, which means we have one leaf that has turned color. What about where you are? Oh, it is completely fall here. I just drove over to Presbytery, which was across northern Minnesota, and uh, it was one of the most beautiful drives I've had of the year. Yellow, orange, red, everything in between. Um, Fall is in full swing here. Today's high is only 49 degrees, so we're starting to feel the chill. Still no snow. Still no snow. Well, you can get your fireplace ready. We're still uh, some time away from that, and color me jealous. All right. Well, what are we talking about today, Hunter? John, we're going to talk about why plant reformed churches. Why is there a need for new churches from the reform tradition. And so that's a worthy discussion and something that is near and dear, I know, to both of us, um, something that's very important. Yeah, maybe just to remind everybody about just the need for church planting in general, right? Why, why do we even want to plant churches? Aren't there churches on every corner? Right, John, that's something that I hear often from people. They, especially in the Bible Belt, Everyone goes to church, and there is a church, like you said, on every corner. But the statistics, John, show that as high as 80% of the population in my part of the world is not in church, and that's significant. There are a number of people in our community who are unchurched and dechurched, and they need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we both believe, I know this for a fact— that church planning is a unbelievably effective way to reach people who do not know King Jesus. And we're big proponents of that. I know the quote is often thrown around on social media that church planting is the most effective evangelistic method. Um, I think Ed Stetzer is right when he says that actually the quote should be church multiplication when new churches are multiplied over and over. The truth of the matter is that new churches have a particular purpose, and when done right, and when done well, and when done biblically, they are an unbelievable means to bring people before the throne of grace. And so, just to share with you some of the statistics that I have, one that I think is important to remember is that there are half as many churches in the United States today than there were in 1900. Now, wow. you can account for some of that being that small rural churches are, are dying and they are in trouble, and you can also point to the rise of the megachurch and even the super megachurch. But at the end of the day, when there are half as many, that's a troubling sign. You can't explain all of that away. To me, it shows, John, a culture that is increasingly 
post-Christian. And so an unbelievable statistic that I saw not too long ago, it was in the Journal of Religious Studies. And this uh, sociologist, religious sociologist at Duke University looked at the religious landscape in North America, and he studied Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. Um, he also lumped in with that uh, Mormonism and other belief systems, including Hinduism and Buddhism. And his statistics show that the rate of growth in terms of the religious landscape in North America is around 2%. Now, if you take into account just in our tradition, and I don't mean the Reformed tradition, I mean Protestantism, if you take into account the growth rate of the United States and the closure rate of churches in North America, we have a significant problem. Yeah, there's not even a keeping up with population growth. I mean, you think of any city, my city in particular has grown 10% over the past 10 years or something like that. I'm certain that there hasn't been that many new churches have grown. In fact, they've probably closed as many churches as they've opened um, in terms of just the broad landscape of, of the church here. You know, the other thing I want to point out is, you know, sometimes you hear about church planting being this effective way to do things, but and perhaps this begins to get us more into the question of why reformed church planting is important is we don't just do it because it's effective. We do it because uh, we believe it's the biblical mandate from Jesus to go and make disciples that it is uh, the church has always been plan a and that people are going to come uh, to saving faith through Christ, through the church, not through uh, crusades or through other, you know, other means but that the primary means that God has appointed and made promises to is the church. And so uh, like the apostles who would go out uh, to places um, to preach the gospel, to plant new churches, uh, that has never ended. And so as much as we would like to see that it is effective, even if it wasn't effective, uh, we ought to be um, the people who follow the framework that Jesus has put in place for us and to, to lean into his promises that he will build his church. You know, in our own denomination, John, we are both church planners in the Presbyterian Church of America, the PCA, and we have had a, um, some success in terms of church planting. Um, I was talking to the associate director of our church planning agency, MNA, not too long ago, and he mentioned that the PCA is one of the handful of denominations across the evangelical spectrum that has grown. And that is um, not a significant number, but if you look at denominations across the board, um, the numbers are surprisingly low. Yeah, you know, and, and if you think about the, the broader evangelical church in America, <clears throat> uh, the PCA, we're, we're tiny. Um, you know, well, we're a couple hundred thousand people scattered across, mostly in the Southeast, um, compared to a, a denomination like the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, they, we wouldn't even uh, stand a chance in terms of uh, any sort of comparison there. And so there's, there's something about uh, the PCA and being a church planter here that we, you know, they always have kind of 
painted our denomination as being uh, a nationwide denomination, wanting to be, uh, you know, across all spectrums, different places, and and really to have uh, the term mainline in, in the best sense that uh, we, we would be able to have First Presbyterian Church in every city and county across the country. And that's a tall task. John, in the last five years, for example, the has gained 68 new churches as a result of planting. In that same time, the denomination has closed 33 churches. As a result, there has only been a net gain of 35 churches. To some, this, John, may seem unimpressive, but the PCA continues on a per capita basis to be a leading church planting denomination in Protestant evangelicalism. Yeah, you know, we've been seeing a lot of news stories lately of denominations uh, post-COVID expecting to see as much as one-third of their congregations have to close their doors permanently. And so, uh, yeah, any growth, let alone even just sustaining a number at, at this point, kind of in our cultural moment, and especially as things begin to work out now, um, as we reemerge, is, uh, is going to be a win, even if it feels like it's a small win. John, that's a really good point. I read an article that was written well before COVID that said church attendance in 2050 will be half of what it was in the year 2000. And that's not even taking into effect what the long-term results of COVID might be. So as we think about that, we think about the church statistics, we think about our increasingly post-Christian culture, and as you so eloquently pointed out, the biblical mandate for church planting and church multiplication, uh, we realize that, and perhaps more people should, that we need to create a culture of church multiplication in the Reformed tradition. We need more churches reaching out into our society with the gospel of Christ, and that's significant to me. Yeah. So, you know, PCA, small. We're, we're small fish in a big pond of the church, you know, a couple hundred thousand people mostly in the southeast of the of the country we're we're spreading out and uh why did why are you a presbyterian hunter why do we want to plant presbyterian reformed churches why don't we just uh you know be non-denominational and um you know why what's important about being a reformed church planter what makes us different than maybe the the big box uh church plant down the street john that's a great question and I think it's safe to say on some level that the people listening to this podcast understand why we should plant churches. I think they get that. But why reform churches? And for me, I think about the depth of our theology and our historical foundation, and I think that's very important in terms of planting a church and reaching the unchurched and the dechurched. As we, again, as I've mentioned, as our, as our nation slides into a more post-Christian culture, 
people are asking questions because their foundations are broken. Their foundations have been shaken. Um, and when you come to the reformed tradition, you see a, a belief system that is rooted in, in our confessions and our creeds. We have answers to questions. And that's, I think, significant that we can stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us and we can say people have asked these questions, people have had these struggles for centuries, and here, collectively speaking, are the answers. And that's, to me, one of the reasons why um, I gravitate so strongly to the Reformed tradition in terms of church multiplication. Yeah, I think uh, there's a temptation in our moment to have uh, theological minimalism where, uh, you know, we all love Jesus. Jesus is the only way, whatever kind of single line statement of faith you want to put on your website that we can all get along with uh, as, as Christians. But I think there's a sense in which you can only live in that world for so long, right? There's, there needs to be a space, you, you know, you said we have answers. There's, there's some questions that people wrestle with their whole life. Uh, why did God allow this to happen? Right? We, we don't have an answer to every circumstance, but uh, the Reformed world, uh, the historic Reformed faith is honest and unwilling to engage and, and has something to say to all aspects of life. You know, um, when I think about a, a typical uh, big evangelical church, it, it very much leans on kind of the emotionalism of its worship service that uh, really at the essence of the Christian faith isn't so much um, wrestling with the questions of life and who God is, uh, but more about me meeting with him in a heartfelt way. Now, I'm not against heartfelt um, devotion to the Lord, but what about the times when you just don't feel Right. Like you want to engage in that way or, sure. or you miss the moment. And so I think that the Reformed faith, it, it gives you a more full-bodied uh, expression of the, of the Christian faith that people can then really hold on to through all aspects of their life. That's right. And John, for me, our creeds and our confessions, they say how important the teaching and preaching of the word is our creeds and confessions talk about the significance of prayer and the Lord's table. And that's, that's big. And for me, in terms of planting a church, um, those are the things that I need to look to in order to be a successful biblical church planner, preaching and teaching the word of God, prayer, the sacraments. These are significant things. i for me in our worship service, when we have the Lord's table, I love to, to be able to say this, this meal is for God's people. This is where we come together and we get a foretaste of what is going to come into the future. Christ is his presence is here. This is a very real and significant and important thing. And then to be able to talk to the unchurched and dechurched people in our community that are not members and to say to them, that we want you to be a part of this. Come to this table. Come to know Jesus and place your faith in him so that you can 
join this community and be a part of this mill and that this is something that you can share with other brothers and sisters, not only now, but forever. And so it's not gimmicks. It's not tactics. It's not anything like that in the reformed tradition. It is the significance and importance and the centrality of the word and prayer and the sacraments. Yeah, no, that's, it's not only that God has appointed those things uh, for our growth and grace and uh, to communicate to us uh, all of his benefits, but that those are sufficient, right? Uh, that's part of the distinctiveness of the Reformed uh, understanding is that uh, we don't, we don't want to just get into gimmicks, right? We believe that God has appointed these things and we're going to use those things. Um, you know, it's often, in my mind, I often assume that people in most churches in my city that I consider conservative uh, have the same view of the Bible as me. And then maybe a short uh, statement, they would affirm the same things, that it's authoritative and inspired and maybe even use the word in inerrant. Um, but one of the things that the Reformed faith really doubles down on is, is the role of the Word of God in church planting. And, uh, and so as we come to God's Word, uh, part, of, part of our hope, so I don't know what your preaching schedule looks like. We've been in the Gospel of John for over a year. And what we're trying to do is show people um, how to understand the Bible, how to interpret it for themselves, how it applies to their lives not in a gimmicky five steps uh, to a successful life, but here is the word of God. Here is who he spoke it to and why it's relevant for us now. And, uh, and believing that God's spirit is at work through the proclamation of his word. And so there's this, this sense in which we continue to double down on all of the things that God has appointed in his word for us and, and, fully lean on those to see uh, his kingdom built. Yeah, John, it's, I think it's important to say that we, we understand that in our tradition and in our denomination, that things are not perfect and yeah. that there have been eras in the past and there are eras that I'm sure are taking place now. And that's just a reality of the fact that we're sinful human beings and we live in the already, not yet, that the kingdom has come, but it has not come in all, all its fullness. Things are not yeah. perfect. No church is perfect. No denomination is perfect. No tradition is perfect. But at the end of the day, you and I are both Reformed church planners. We are both Presbyterian. We both belong to the Presbyterian church in America. And so this is, our team, if you will, or our tribe. I heard a seminary professor once say that it's like going to a movie plex and none of the movies are perfect or the best, but this particular movie, in his opinion, is better than the rest. And <laughs> I, think that's a, I think that's a good analogy as we talk and discuss this. I don't want people to think, that we believe that everything is perfect and we live in la-la land. We know that this is part of being in a broken, fallen, cursed world, but it's our tradition and it's what we yeah. believe in. It's what we believe in strongly. Yeah. And we, 
you know, we hold to the things uh, largely because we believe they're what scripture teaches. You know, we want to talk about the sinfulness. One of the really, in my mind, the helpful things about being Presbyterian uh, is taking into account the reality that uh, it's not going to go well. Um, You look at the New Testament, it's full of all sorts of division in the church and problems. And, uh, and we have a structure in place to deal with it. So, um, you know, Presbyterian means we're led by elders, and we have presbyteries of elders from other churches. But even broader than that, Hunter, if, if I find out, uh, you know, you're preaching some heretical stuff at your church, well, there's somebody I could call, or there's somebody in your, in your congregation, there's somebody they could call right. uh, in order to keep you accountable. And so not only does Reformed have to do with our theology, but it has to do with uh, all of our understanding of the church and its structure. Uh, you know, whereas we've seen, you know, the sinfulness of pastors dealt with in, in many different ways in the public eye. Right. And, and we're not uh, clean. We don't have clean hands in that world. Right. Uh, but we have a process for people to, to have accountability, to be um, able to be questioned. Whereas, you know, you got a rogue church planter out yonder. Uh, it's kind of, he's kind of a, a pope unto himself. And so he, hard to be questioned. And, and of course, we've seen uh, some of the fruits of that, even pretty close to our world, where, you know, you have kind of these very independent type churches out there that um, you get one guy in charge and, and there's nobody to really hold him to account. So not only is Reformed theological, but it's also very practical in uh, how it goes forth. It's also that partnership of working together, right? I was sent to Fargo by a group of churches in our area. For us, they're all invested in what we're doing. And so I'm accountable to them. They're involved as much as they can be, uh, being people who live far away from me. Uh, But at the same time, there's that working together, the oneness of the body, um, that I I think is just a beautiful representation of, of biblical Christianity. Yeah, John, I want to see churches multiplied because there are so many in our society that are apart from God. And I know how effective having planted a church and now on my second one and seen other churches planted, I know how effective they are at making Christ known. Hmm. I want to see reformed churches multiplied because I believe in the theology and I believe in the church government I believe in the ethos and I believe in the worldview. And I think all of that is significant and important. And I believe that the Reformed tradition has real answers for the hard questions that an increasingly secular society is asking. Yeah. Now, I think it's, uh, our denomination has a statement kind of to explain who we are. It says we're faithful to the scriptures. We're true to the Reformed faith, and we're obedient to the Great Commission. And I'll just find that to be a really helpful summary of what we think of as we are planting churches. There's variety within our denomination, but we, we hold Scripture to a very high standard, and we're, we're faithful to it. We're subordinate to it, uh, and we want to be true to the Reformed faith. And church planting in particular falls in this last category, obedient to the Great Commission. We have church planting happening, evangelism happening, world missions happening, um, and those three things together, um, right, in that order, right, we're not immediate, uh, obedient to the Great Commission, and then we'll go consult Scripture, or we're not 
true to the reformed faith and then we'll go consult scripture but scripture our you know our reformed faith and our mission that comes out of that is there anything that you would want to point out in terms of just our beliefs in particular that lead us in this mission is there something in our confession or our understanding of 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 who god is and his church that ought to compel reformed people in particular to be obedient to the great commission and church planting one of the things that is a part of what we believe is called the belgic confession which was written in 1561 article 29 says concerns the marks of the true church and where she differs from the false church and i just want to read this because I think it's helpful for those that might be listening. The marks by which the true church is known are these. If the pure doctrine of the gospel is preached therein, if she maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ, if church discipline is exercised in punishing of sin, in short, if all things are managed according to the pure word of God, all things contrary thereto rejected, and Jesus Christ acknowledged as the only head of the church. Hereby, the true church may be certainly known, from which no man has a right to separate himself. With respect to those who are members of the church, they may be known by the marks of Christians, namely by faith. And when they have received Jesus Christ, the only Savior, they avoid sin, follow after righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor, neither turn aside to the right or left, and crucified the flesh with the works thereof. Now that represents one section of Article 29. And that is profound. As a church planter, I am glad, I am thankful that that is a part of my tradition. And I can turn to that and be reminded from whence we came. And also that I can encourage other pastors and I can encourage the members of my church concerning the last part, which talks about the importance of Jesus Christ as the only Savior and the love of God and neighbor. And so church planting is an outworking of that. If we love Jesus and we love our neighbor, we want to multiply churches because that is the, an effective means by which we bring Jesus to our neighbors. It's the way in which we bring Jesus to our community. Yeah, no, and even bringing up that as a reference that you can go back to, um, you know, planting a church here. I think every church planter early on, at least this was true of me, we feel like we got to do it a little differently or reinvent kind of the wheel. And I remember pretty quickly realizing that that was just not necessary as a, as a reformed Presbyterian that, uh, people have worked through all sorts of things. We have confessions, we have a book of church order, we have all of these, these things in place that uh, we ought to lean into uh, rather than you know, throw out and try to reinterpret into our own kind of context. And so what we're doing isn't new and novel. Uh, what we're doing is the same thing that Christians have been doing for 2000 years uh, and in our own you know, little, Christian world of Reformed Presbyterians. There are many people who've come before us who have done great work. And so uh, to go and just lean into some of those things, I think is a real um, helpful way to alleviate some of the anxiety that we might have as a church planter to say, well, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? What am I going to teach my people? What is our men's group going to be like? 
of course, we have to answer all those questions, but at the end of the day, um, there are so many resources available to us, not just current people, but historic uh, things that have been handed down to us that, um, that if we just can dig into, um, we can find just a, a lot of very helpful and very devotionally oriented, God-honoring um, wisdom. That's right, John. Another aspect is the connectivity that you mentioned earlier in the Reformed tradition. There are some independent, non-denominational Reformed churches. I understand that. I get it. But typically in the Reformed world, churches are connected to one another. And for me, John, I don't know about you, but I have elders from four churches that oversee my work. And until we have our own elders, they will continue to provide me guidance and hold me accountable. And if there's any area of Christian ministry that is known for having an independent streak, it is church planning. Um, you hear about mm-hmm. pastors that um, they want to preach more, so they go start a church. You hear about pastors that don't like what's happening in their own church, so they take a group of people and they go and they start their own church. And one of the things that's significant in my mind about the Reformed tradition is the connectivity and the accountability that we just can't go wing this. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that temptation to be um, making the church in your image or something or wanting to emphasize the thing that you are most interested in is one that uh, is always in the in the forefront of the church planting conversation. I remember early on as I felt a call to church planting, uh, a pastor in our region told me that their church, being pretty far away from other churches, they just try to be a plain vanilla PCA church. And I, I thought that was very um, boring. <laughs> <laughs> that was not what a, a young church planter wanted to do. I don't want to go plain up, you know, I want Rocky Road or whatever. Right. Uh, right. And I went and I, I shared that with some other, with some other mentors. And uh, one in particular said, yeah, that's what you need to do in Fargo. Mm-hmm. Um, and the longer I've been here, the more I've realized that that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the temptation to be um, s- pursuing something other than this is the Lord's church, and I'm just trying to be faithful steward of it. Right. Uh, right. If it's, if it's centered on anything else. So right, plain vanilla sounds boring, uh, but without, you know, without having the right thing in the center, you know, we think about, I'm trying to make this analogy go too far, but you need vanilla ice cream to make other good flavors. <laughs> That's right. But if you start That's with right. just other things, all yeah. of a sudden you might have accidentally poured in some too much salt or something. Right. And, and now you've just, you've really lost kind of the center. And so sure. uh, w- one of the things as a church planner, I just continue to come back to is, um, and I think the reformed faith does this time and time again, is it makes the main thing, the main thing. Uh, gospel-centered, Christ-centered preaching. Uh, this is about God's word and his worship and his glory. And so, you know, we have lots of people in town that aren't Reformed Presbyterians that we get along with really well because they get the gospel right. And that's, that's the right. center, right? And sure. so we can have partnership around that. And of course, we want to advocate and convince beyond that, that there are other things uh, that are good for the health of the church that we've already been discussing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, but the Reformed faith, I think at the end of the day, it just exalts Christ and keeps him at the center. And that's the goal of any church planter it ought to be. 
Sure. Yeah. The, 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 I appreciate. And, and the reason why I am such an advocate for reformed church planting and why I want to, you know, hopefully the church that I'm planting will, will grow up one day and we will help start churches. But I just, I appreciate the long and steady faithfulness to the word of God that is undergirded by a historic tradition and with the safeguards of connectivity and accountability in place. And so for me, that's why I'm all about what we are calling Reformed Church Multiplication. It's, in my mind, a great hope for this generation and generations to come. John, I would just like to leave um, a final statement here uh, before we go today. And this really comes from my time leading the Mid-South Church Planning Network as I talk to people, PCA pastors, Reformed pastors, people in Reformed and Presbyterian pews. One thing that I would hear time and time again is that we plant Reformed churches to reach Reformed people who don't have a Reformed church. And I think that you and I would both agree that that's a correction that needs to be made in our tradition. It's something that I've heard often. What needs to be said is that we believe in the planting of Reformed churches in order to reach people who do not know King Jesus, who are not in church, so they may find that beautiful community that is the church and better understand the significance and importance of the reformed tradition that we believe in church planting as a means of evangelism, as a significant aspect of the great commission, not to just create reformed chapels. That's the last word for now. Thanks to everyone for listening. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at the number five points planting or by email at five points church planting at gmail.com. See y'all next week.